Come on in. Hallelujah. Well, we're in John chapter 9, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seats in front of you somewhere, I believe. John chapter 9. When I began reading this chapter, the first thing that struck me was, here is this guy who has a powerful move of God in his life. And then the thing that interested me the most was the different ways that people reacted to that move of God. And I thought, okay, maybe there's some lessons here for us about the ways in which people respond to God that can either invite His presence or actually repel His presence can cause roadblocks, hindrances, speed bumps, barriers, whatever you want to call it. I mean, here's a guy who was physically blind, who was healed, but maybe there might actually be some lessons for us about spiritual blindness and deafness. Now, isn't it true? How how many of you have been walking with God for a while now? Let's say, uh, let me see. How many of you have known Jesus for more than five years. Could you raise your hand? Okay, put your hands down. Okay, now, no, no, put your hands back up if you knew Jesus for more than five years. Okay, now, if you've known Jesus for less than 10 years, put your hands down. Less than 10 years. 15 years. 20 years. 25 years. If you've not known Jesus more than, if you're not even 25 years old, what are you doing with your hands still up? No, come on. You guys not get the system yet? 30 years. 35. 40. 45. 50. I'm looking at two. No, three. Right back there. 55. Oh, he went down. 60. I don't know. Okay. So some of you have known Jesus for a long time, right? Isn't there ever something in you that just wishes you could get this whole thing down better after all these years? Do you ever feel like, God, I'm here. If you want to say something to me, I'm okay with that. Would you just say it out loud? Make it clear so that I can... I'm not, I'm not real smart. Sometimes, God, you got to do things real simple if I'm going to get it. And so, although the truth is, if we're honest, all of us see in part, we hear in part, and we know in part, but that doesn't mean we can't get better at it. It doesn't mean we can't grow and mature in our relationship with God and in how we experience His presence and hear His voice. So, uh, rather than fake it, and wanting to appear more spiritual than what we are, let's just all say up front, we're learning. We're growing. We're getting better at this, I hope. 
but we're not all there yet. I, I meet people all the time that the way they talk, uh, you would think they never... Ha- it's like sitting in a table and they're having a conversation with God at the table and it's so real to them. And I'm thinking, okay, I wish it was like that for me all the time, but it's not like that all the time. Sometimes it feels like that. But sometimes you feel like you're plowing through pea soup to get anywhere near them. And I think that's the way it is for a lot of us. But what I want us to look at this morning out of John chapter 9, if you're not there yet, you can turn there, is seven hindrances to keep us from really seeing and understanding the heart of God. Because I believe it's about more than just hearing a voice. It's about knowing who God is. Now, I need to tell you something up front, uh, and I feel kind of bad about this. My normal sermons, what I do is I write out my sermons. They're my sermons, but I write them out because that's how I was trained. That's how I learned. And when I try to go off of that script, it just doesn't work for me. So I write them out. I write them out as if I'm preaching them to myself in my office, and then I come here and do the same thing. Um, My normal sermon length is somewhere seven pages. Eight pages is kind of long, but seven. My sermon today is um, 17 pages. So it's not looking real good for lunch. (laughs) Just saying. All right. If you weren't here last week, by the way, uh, the first message in this particular chapter was spoken, and you can get that from the sound department back there with Brother Mark. He can help you, I'm sure. Uh, The first hindrance that I spoke about last week was the hindrance of blame. Would you look at John 9, verse 1, and follow along with me. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So here are the disciples walking along the street with God. Because that's who Jesus is, right? He's God. So here are the disciples walking along with God. And here is God who has over a period of time redefined life for them. He has talked to them about this sphere of living called the kingdom of God. And they understood that as they walked in relationship with Him, they could actually call the culture and atmosphere of heaven down to earth. That's what Jesus told them when He said, when you pray, pray this way, saying, Our Father, our heart in heaven, hallowed be Thy name, Thy kingdom come, where? From heaven, let it be done on earth as it's already been declared or established in heaven. So they already understood that Jesus brought with Him in His person the presence of the kingdom of God. And they understood that that same kingdom was not only around them, it dwelled within them. So that they had the same power, the same authority to call heaven down to earth as do you and I. They understood all of that. They had watched the same God who they had walked with now for a period of time. They saw Him and they experienced Him feeding 5,000 men 
with, uh, what did he use? What was it again? What was it? Five loaves and two fishes. Come on, you always got to get that song in your head when it does it. Five little loaves, two little fishes for Jesus. Something like that. So, he fed 5,000 with very little. He healed a lame man just a couple of chapters before. Back in chapter 2, he turned the water into wine. And then a little bit later, he walks on the water. So they knew that this Jesus could do what seemed impossible to everybody else. They knew that about Him. They knew and had experienced it all. But they come upon this man who everybody in the town seemed to know was born blind. They come upon this man. What do they do? Do they say, Jesus, would you possibly heal this guy? Maybe this would be a good day for another healing. Just like you healed the lame man. Think about it. Here's this guy who has never seen anything in his whole life. Think about it. He's never seen... Pardon? Color. I mean, you, when, when I say the word blue, you think something in your head, don't you? He'd never seen a color. He'd never seen one of those things that I hate that you guys continually post. One of these Pinterest baking things that you guys post on Facebook that are just so cruel to us. You know, especially the one that was the cinnamon roll thing, Majig. You know, it's just like those are just plain mean. He never saw any, he never saw Facebook. Never saw a thing. But do they say to Jesus, would you heal him? No. Instead, they decide to make him like a guinea pig. He'll be a lab rat for them. Let's test out this theory. Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents? In other words, they're saying, who's to blame? And so they began to play the blame game. And the truth is, we do the same kind of thing. Instead of caring about people and seeing God's heart for them, we want to make sure that first they eat humble pie and admit it's all their fault. The reason why they're in the place they're in is because of stupid decisions they've made. And we want to make sure they grovel before us before we actually maybe do something that could help them. We want them to feel bad. We want them to feel like they're low-down sinners. That it's their fault. If it's not fault, we use this fancy word called responsibility. It's their responsibility. Well, the truth is, we all have been in places like that. Every one of us have needed help at times. We needed somebody to pitch in and help us. And there's nothing that gives life or hope like making people feel like they're lower than the curb. But we do that kind of thing regularly. And that's really what these disciples are doing. When we are more concerned with being right than showing people love or care, than showing people that there's hope in Jesus, then there's something wrong with our rightness. It's a self-righteousness that's not born in Jesus at all. So there ought to be something in us that says we need to get our eyes off of blame and fault and put our eyes in people's eyes on Jesus instead of pointing out where they've done. Another way, I finished the message uh, last week by saying that probably the simplest way to say this is we need to be more positive and stop being so negative. 
Stop pointing out all the problems and start seeing and pointing out the possibilities. Instead of being a pessimist, maybe it would be helpful if we actually became an optimist and see the possibilities of what God would like to do. So, that was number one. If you didn't hear that, you can hear that from the sound department, okay? Number two, this is new. Number two, the second hindrance to us actually seeing and experiencing the heart of God is disobedience. Disobedience. Look at verse 3 again. Jesus answered and said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated, sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. This man simply obeyed a command of God. But here's my question for you. What do you think would have happened if he didn't go? What if instead he got offended with Jesus? for putting mud on his eyes. And not just mud, by the way. This is mud made with spit. What if when Jesus said, go and wash, he said, well, that's all fine and dandy for you. You can see. How do you think I'm going to find this pool of Siloam? By smell? Or do you think I'm wealthy enough to have a servant who leads me around at every whim that I have? And besides, it's hot out here and I'm kind of comfortable right where I am sitting in the shade. And by the way, let me point out, Jesus, I wouldn't have to wash if you hadn't made mud and put it on my eyes in the first place. What if he had just plain gotten offended with how Jesus chose to deal with his blindness? And I wonder, how often do we get offended with how Jesus deals with our own issues in life? We don't like how He chooses to handle us. Maybe He would do what Jocelyn did recently. I watched her. Uh, Maybe you guys have seen girls do this especially. But Jocelyn was asked to do something and she didn't want to. She put her hands on her hip. I can't even do it. I can't. How do you swing your hips? She put her hands on him and said, Oh, really? I mean, she, she could have gotten an attitude. Or he could have at least. What Jesus did made no logical sense if you think about it. Think about the story. Here's a guy who's sitting around, blind, perhaps sitting in front of his parents' house. According to verse 8, it appears that he probably sat around and begged daily. Here's a guy who's just minding his own business, sitting around. He can't see, but he can hear. And probably every day he would sit there begging for food or for money. And he could hear people walking by. He could hear conversations. Probably so much that he had learned to tune some of it out. But this day, he heard a group coming towards him and he heard them talking. And he probably was familiar enough with their culture to know this was a teacher or a rabbi and his students. And they decided to make him a lesson for the day. I wonder if it had happened to him before. Do you ever think about that? 
if other rabbis had come by with their students and taken the time to point out what a rotten sinner he must have been in order to be blind from birth like that? Or if he wasn't a sinner, his parents must have terribly offended God to cause God to retaliate against their baby. So probably he had heard this kind of thing before. He heard the discussion. He hears the tramp of feet. And he hears them talking about him. But no money is being thrown into his little cup. So he just sits there patiently. And suddenly he hears someone spitting. Probably, honestly, in their culture, that wasn't uncommon at all. I've been around the world a little bit, whether it be in Africa, uh, Kazakhstan, China. When Ben and I were in China this last time, one of the things that struck me is how much and how often people spit. Men and women. They spit all the time. It doesn't matter whether they're outside or they're inside. I can remember us walking and standing next to somebody and having them, you know, hock up a big louie and spit it at our feet. I can remember, I honestly can remember being in the airport, marble floors. This is modern now. And having somebody sitting behind me spit on the floor. And I thought to myself in that moment, it's no wonder that they have some lady go around with a mop all day long, never stopping. It wasn't because the floors were dirty, it's because they were covered with spit. So he heard somebody spit that day, and he probably never thought a thing about it because people probably spit all the time. But then he heard feet getting closer to him, and it probably had some hope. Maybe somebody's going to put some money in my cup. But then all of a sudden he felt something wet and kind of slimy on his face. And he heard somebody say, go and wash. Well, what would you have done? Um, I think my first thought would be, who is being so mean as to spit on my face? Put spit on my face, because that's probably what it felt like. Maybe he was a little bit upset, feeling like, how does this help anything, spitting on me? Maybe he spoke up and said, all right, just move along, just leave me alone, can't you see I'm blind? Or maybe he hung his head in shame and embarrassment and thought, that happens to me all the time, people make fun of me. I think I would have been tempted to untuck my shirt and wipe my face off. How is mud on the eyes and water at some pool going to help his situation? I don't know, but maybe, it's very possible, he actually washed his face already that morning. Maybe he washed his face every morning. So how is going to some pool called Siloam going to help me? Other than the fact that you spit, made mud, and put it on my face. It's illogical. It doesn't make any sense at all. But the point of the story is this. And I want you to hear me. This is number two. If you want to have an encounter with God, if you want to experience God's presence, you have to learn to obey Him. Just do what He says, even if it doesn't make any sense. There's an old hymn that we used to sing. I don't know how many of you would ever remember this. It, it went something like this. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Simply trust and obey Jesus. Even when it makes... Uh, 
We live in amazing times. Technologically, we have experienced stuff that... We, we, how, how many of you guys remember, um, in the old days, a thing called party lines? Do you remember that? We had a phone that uh, hung on the wall in our house. It was an old phone, and it actually was a... Uh, the second phone we had was a push-button phone, not one of those little dial phones, but we had both. But we had a phone, and we decided we got all kinds of technologically advanced when we put on a cord that could reach something like 10 feet away. That was the big deal. But in order to get on our phone, you would pick the phone up. And sometimes you would hear people talking. And usually it was Mrs. Wheeler, because she was always on the phone talking to somebody. And Mrs. Wheeler would say, who's there, honey? And I'd say, it's Chris Lonneville. She goes, I'll be done in a minute, honey. I'll call you and tell you when I'm done. And in order to dial out, you had one number. One. So like if I wanted to call Mrs. Wheeler, it was number two. Because the Datsons were number one because they, they were there before Mrs. Wheeler, so she got number two. We were number four. So she would call me back and say, okay, honey, I'm all done. You can call now. So I would pick up the phone and then I would dial four and then I would dial four other numbers if I wanted to call a friend. That was it. That was the, the extent of it. Now I have a phone that can call people FaceTiming them in China or in Kazakhstan or in Africa. Things have changed technologically. We have, we have so much stuff available to us that was never available before. Books. Uh, how, how many of you like reading? Any of you? How many of you are reading a book right now? What book are you reading? Tell me. I want to know. What are you reading? What are you reading, Rick? Revival in Wales. What are you reading? The Bible. <laughs> yes, Sam. Fellowship of the Ring. Yes. Okay, your dad reads to you. That's good. Uh, I'm reading a book called Is God Anti-Gay? by Alberry. Really interesting book about how people who are gay in their lifestyle see God and see the church. So we have a lot of books. I, I have in my library probably about, I don't know, somewhere between six and 7,000 books. About 4,000 downstairs and a couple thousand at home. So technologically, we have books. We also have people that we listen to. Do any of you guys listen to CDs or maybe you don't even have CDs anymore? Podcasts? Uh, we have so many people that you can listen to preach. Um, I just picked a couple of them. Bill Johnson. Any of you guys ever listen to Bill Johnson? Bill Johnson. Joel Olstein. You think he's bad, huh? Okay, I'll keep that in mind. Joyce Myers. T.D. Jakes. Benny Hinn. John Hagee, Andy Stanley. Yeah, so that's just seven. Seven guys, you could listen to a different one every single day, and there are literally hundreds and thousands that you can get online, on podcasts, on CDs, on TV, all of it. And so many believers listen to all of these different preachers every day, listen to a different one, and they say, yay and amen, good word, I like it very much. And then they come to church on Sunday morning, and I've had this happen to me more times than you could imagine. I said, oh, Pastor, I heard a, you get all done preaching. 
Sunday's done. You're all done preaching. You're going out the door. You shake hands with somebody. You say, oh, Pastor, I heard Jack Hafer today preach a message. You should have heard him. Maybe you should have played his message instead today. So you hear so many amazing, dynamic, radical preachers. And so what does some lump of clay in Warsaw have to do to compare? The problem that I see is this. People listen to the Word. They say, good Word. And then tomorrow, what are you going to do to thrill me again? What new word? What fresh word? We say, I need new manna for today. But what we really mean is, I get bored with old stuff. What new thing can you do to titillate my ears? And then we don't even do what we've heard. What we've been listening to. They begin to treat the Word of God like a smorgasbord. Like a buffet table. Where they can pick and choose what they like and what they don't like. And they've learned to pick from tables that usually agrees with their own preferences. Nothing that's going to challenge them. When I took a preaching class, I was told once that it's my job to make the comfortable uncomfortable and to make the uncomfortable comfortable. I don't know about that, but I do know that we can come to a point where we have gotten so much Bible, so much preaching, that we don't obey. Is it any wonder that we're constantly saying, teach me something new because I don't do what I already know. That makes me too uncomfortable. I'd rather something that's easier. So often we're looking for something new when we haven't even done what God told us to do already. In fact, if you can look back at a point in your life when you felt close to God, connected to God, a vital relationship where you even felt like you were kind of hearing His voice, and it's not so much that way anymore, maybe it would behoove you to ask yourself why. What's changed? Stories told of an elderly couple who were driving down the road in their old pickup truck, 1967 Ford. And they were driving down the road, and in front of them, they came to an intersection where there was a stop sign, and right in front of them was this car. And they could see in the car was a man and a woman, but they were sitting so close together that it was almost like they were one. And after a little bit of following this car, the woman turned to her husband in the truck and said, you know... We used to sit just like that once upon a time. A couple miles went by and the old timer looked over at his wife and said, I haven't moved. The question is, if things have changed with you and God, who's moved? What's changed? Interestingly, the word uh, for obedience or obey in the Greek is the word hupoakuo. It's a compound Greek word. It's a prefix with a noun. Hupo means under or to come beneath. And akuo means to listen. So that obedience means to be willing to come under, to put your life under, to faithfully attend and allow what you have heard to impact your life. So my question is this. Are you allowing what God has already spoken to you to impact your life? Have you come under it? Under the weight of it? So this isn't about, this point is not about you bad, naughty person, you, you're not obeying. That's not what it's about. What it's about is very simply getting back to where when He speaks, you say, my will is to do your will, O God. C.S. Lewis says there's only two kinds of people in life. 
those people who say, my will is to do your will, O God, and then those people who God says, have your own will. Do it your way. And I don't want to be that second kind of person. I want to be able to hear and to obey. And if I'm not hearing as clearly as I used to, is it possible because I've dropped out on the obedience level that I stop doing what He commanded me to? And we like to make this whole thing about obedience so tough, like, well, yeah, if He told me and He's clear, I would do it. But the truth is, be honest for a second, aren't there things that you already know God has clearly said in His Word? Hasn't He made His way pretty clear in His Word? Or... What about when you get godly counsel from people? Or you hear that still small voice in your heart. But what He asks you to do is too hard. Do you obey? Uh, I had a situation last night uh, with Karen where she sent me down to check the pills for her mother. This is private. Don't tell her this, okay? I know, the first thing that you'll do is you'll be taping this right now and doing them. She sent me down to check to make sure her mom still had pills until today, and I went down, and I came back up and I said, well, she has her afternoon pills and her night pills, no morning pills, but there's only a couple morning pills, so it doesn't really matter. And she said, it does matter. One of those pills is what helps her to not have uh, restless leg syndrome, and that really bothers her a lot. So it does matter. And I said, she forgets to take her pills half the time anyways. What's it matter? Because I didn't feel like getting up out of my chair and going back downstairs again. And she looked at me, and I could see she was already thinking about how do I get up out of this chair with my crutches and make my way downstairs to do her pills. So I said, fine, I'll go do it. So I went down, got her pill box, and brought it back up, and I filled them all. And then I sat there, and I thought about it. And I thought about it, and I thought, okay, fine, maybe I didn't do it the best, but I did finally do it. And I went on with my life for the night, and about time to go to bed, I thought, all right, Father, if you're going to make me feel this uncomfortable, I'll go ahead and do it. So I went over and I said, all right, and I got, I did later, I got on my knees, put my arm on her chair, and I said, listen, I'm sorry, I was a complete jerk. I was stupid, I was lazy, would you please forgive me? Now. Here's my point, other than the fact that I'm often a jerk. Um, every one of us knows things that God prompts us to do. The issue is, are we doing them? Are we listening to His voice, and are we obeying them? Um, when we get off track, which is easy to get off track, we come to a fork in the road, and we go right, and we should have gone left. The issue is not to get down on yourself. The issue is to go back to the fork and make the right turn. Don't try to take a shortcut across because there's no shortcuts in this journey with God. Go back to where you last felt like you heard the voice of God clearly and make sure you're obeying that. And then begin to move forward. Um, sometimes, when we're walking with God long enough, he speaks something to us that doesn't always make sense. Um, the best example I could think of this, I mean, other than out of my own life, which I didn't want to go into that too much because I've already done that a little bit today and you already know how bad I am. Um, how many of you remember reading The Cross and the Switchblade with Dave Wilkerson some years back? Um, 
Remember, Dave Wilkerson was this Assembly of God pastor from Pennsylvania who felt like God called him to come and to preach the gospel to the gangs in New York City. He did that. And many of those gang members got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, set free from drugs. Some of them are still traveling and ministering today. But one of the things that struck me in the book was there came a point where several of these former gang members who are now saved, walking with God faithfully, began to feel convicted about crimes they had committed in their past. Maybe some of you remember this. And they went to the local police station to confess their crimes. Now some of their crimes were crimes that the police just said, all right, thank you for telling us. There's nothing we can do about it now. It's too long ago. Just forget about it. But some of those crimes were crimes like murder. And when they confessed, there's no statute of limitations on murder. And so some of these men were put in prisons. And I can remember reading that thinking, God, this doesn't make any sense at all. Why would you prompt them to go back and confess their sins that they committed years prior when they weren't even a Christian? Now they're a Christian. They're not living like that. It doesn't make any sense. But here, here I am years later and I've come to realize you know, you can be in a prison whether you're behind bars or not. If you don't do what God prompts you to do, you don't need any bars. You're living in a bad enough prison as it is. But the other side of it is you can be behind bars and still be completely free. And that's what happened for so many of these former gang members. They went to prison. They served their time. They kept faithful to God. And when they got out, they were free in and out of prison. So sometimes what God says doesn't always make sense. But we need to learn to obey. And maybe God's spoken something to you in the past. And it didn't make any sense. And you thought, I, I just can't do that. Maybe for you it was in the area of giving. God says you should give. You should tithe. And you should give offerings. And you thought, God, that doesn't make any sense. I hardly have enough for us let alone to give any more. If I start tithing, I'm not going to have enough money to pay my bills. So you agonized and you didn't. And I have to confess that tithing was something that was really hard for me. I grew up in a family that I thought was poor. And so when I worked for my money, I worked hard for my money and I thought, I'm not going to give it to some church. How do I know what they're going to do with it? I heard stories all the time about treasurers from church stealing money. So I'm not going to give money until I know exactly. If I want to give money, I'll give money to somebody specifically that I know that I want to help. So I didn't tithe for years until finally I felt like God said, you tithe. I said, all right, I'll tithe, but I don't know how I'm going to make it because we're barely getting by as it is. And yet here we are, years and years later, so grateful to God for the principle of His provision that allows and provides for the tithe and giving offerings and then enough for all that we have need of. Maybe for you, it's in the area of service. You felt like God told you to serve, and so you started out serving, maybe serving in the church. Maybe in children's ministry, and you tried it for a while, and it gets old real fast, it gets tiring, you get worn out, and you said, okay, I've done it, now I'm done. But God's the one who told you to do it. And maybe you ought to wait until God says not to do it before you stop. And then you wonder why you're not hearing as clearly. Is it possible that you have walked away from what God has already clearly said to you. We make it like it's something deep and hard. Like, God, what do you want me to do? When the truth is, we have His Word. In fact, the Scripture says in Corinthians, we have the mind of Christ. This is the mind of Christ for us. How about we learn to do what this book clearly says, and then 
when there are things that are unclear to us, I suspect if we get going with that, He will make the unclear clearer for us. Uh, we're wanting God to tell us what color car to buy. But God's already said some other things that were really clear. How about we get that down first? And then He will make the other stuff clearer. One of the other things I want you to notice in this passage, look at it real quick. I want you to notice the humanity of Jesus. What does He use to make mud? He doesn't send away and order some holy water from the Vatican or some Jordan River water even, and he could just walk to that. He spits on the ground. He takes something at hand and he makes mud. And I think that's what God is about. To use what he has given to you at hand in order that you could walk with him more clearly. All right, we're going to stop there today. And next time, we're going to actually finish all of them. So you've gotten through two. Two of the seven hindrances. The other ones will go much faster. But the first one is very, very important. Not to play the blame game. And the second one is disobedience. That we learn to walk in obedience so that we can hear the voice of God more clearly. Would you stand with me? Would you bow your heads? The point of the story today was very simply. Jesus spoke to this man and said, go wash. And he obeyed. And he walked into an encounter with the power of God that changed his life forever. The issue isn't to say, woe is me, I've disobeyed. The issue is very simply, God, if there's an area of my life in which I'm not walking in obedience, I want to be the kind of believer, the kind of disciple, the kind of follower that hears you when you speak and says, yes, sir. Yes, I will. So this isn't a matter of getting down on yourself. It's a matter of, God, you, you've already put something in my heart that you told me to do and I haven't done it. And I want to say, God, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me and help me to now walk it out? To walk in obedience to your voice, to your will, and to your way. So just take a moment and ask God, is there something that he has that you have not yet followed in? Now maybe you're here today and you haven't even decided yet whether you're going to be a follower of Jesus at all. A disciple of Jesus. Or you go to church. But that doesn't mean that you're a believer. Oh, you can even believe in God. You can even believe in Jesus, but that doesn't mean you follow Him. <clears throat> maybe the first thing that needs to be clear is do you know Jesus? Is Jesus your Lord and your Savior? He has arranged life in such a way that when we walk with Him, we live life that's going to be the most fulfilling, the most effective and fruitful. 
the most beneficial. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, but you would like to, I want you to have courage and say, I do, I want that. I want to walk with Jesus. You haven't done this before, but you would like to. I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand and say, I do, I want to. I want to be a follower of Jesus. It takes courage. Because he said, if you won't confess me before men here on earth, I won't confess you before my Father. So if that's you, I'm going to ask you, just raise your hand and say, I do, I want that. And for those of you that have said, okay, God has prompted something in my heart, just commit before the Lord right now and say, Father, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have courage. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do what I know you put in my heart to do that is right. Because I believe that when I do it, you're going to cause your presence to be very real to me. And there's nothing more important than walking with the presence of the Lord. Father, as we stand here today at the end of the service, it's with the awareness that we desperately need to hear your voice, to know your voice, to know your word in your way, but also to walk in it. Not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. Help us to be obedient and submitted to all that you say to us. We love you, Father, and we want your presence more than anything else. And anything that we might do that would hinder it or cause there to be a stoppage of flow, Father, we want that thing exposed so that we can know you more and more every day. I pray, God, that you would walk with us and talk with us, even as you did with Adam and Eve in the garden, that we would know the nearness of our God and King. And Lord, this isn't about you being angry with us, because you're not. If you're angry at all, you're angry at how sin separates and how sin destroys our lives. But the truth is you love us and you want to walk with us. But your word says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? Father, we want to walk in agreement with you to do what you say when you say it. Help us to be quick to say yes, Lord. And Now, Lord, let your hand of blessing and favor, your presence rest upon each one as we go from this place that we would become more and more hearers and doers of your word. We ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a good rest of your day.